things that have been like a problem I've turned into magic. Like we had like a print that we couldn't sell and we, or we were stuck with it. So I decided to pleat it. So I pleated, it looked a lot better pleated. And then I put it with a little sweater and nobody had ever shipped. I mean, people, no, nobody ever shipped a sweater with a skirt before as a two piece set. Hmm. And nobody had ever done that. And it was this chunky little sweater with a little pleated skirt. And we sold thousands of that. And we used up every inch of our fabric and we had to go out and buy more to, to fill the orders because they were selling so fast. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Nicole Miller is one of the most well-known fashion designers in the entire world. Her iconic designs are at once elegant with a hint of rebellion. The end result is a look both sophisticated with the drape and cut of gorgeous fabrics always looking fresh. Echoes of art, her travels, and popular culture combine in unique prints and imaginative uses of color throughout her designs. Innovation, too, finds its way into her work. She has often been the first to popularize a new technique or fabric including sustainable fabrics, such as denim made from recycled bottle caps and plant-based materials. Nicole's vision is to create sustainable, accessible luxury and premium fashion and lifestyle products for eco-conscious, empowered women and their families who want to look their best, feel good about their consumer choices, and participate in making the world a better place. Over the years, Nicole's designs have garnered a loyal following of celebrity fans, including Angelina Jolie, Beyonce, Blake Lively, and Carrie Underwood, amongst others. She's been the recipient of numerous industry awards and recognition. A strong believer in protecting our natural environment, Nicole actively supports numerous environmental organizations and causes. And as an early pioneer in woman entrepreneurship, She actively mentors young designers through paid internships and a namesake scholarship at the Rhode Island School of Design, where she serves on the board of trustees. She also actively supports women's causes, particularly those that empower women to enter and succeed in business. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. No one succeeds alone. Even the best entrepreneurs know when it's time to bring in an outside expert. With Upwork, you can find top developers, designers, project managers, and more who can start today so your business can succeed tomorrow. You can check work samples, client reviews, and more to make sure you're hiring the right pro for your business. And there's no cost until you hire. Plus, you'll only pay for work you approve. Whether you're looking to hire a single pro for a project or an entire team to scale your business, Upwork can help you reach your goals. And however you hire, Upwork is available to help you keep things running smoothly with 24-7 support, letting you stay focused on what matters, your business. Find the right talent for whatever your business needs at Upwork, the world's work marketplace. Learn more at www.upwork.com. I started my conversation with Nicole by asking her when it was that she realized she had a passion for clothing and fashion. 
I always did from a young age because uh, my mother was from Paris, but we lived in the United States and she always had French fashion magazines, you know, shipped from France. So I was, you know, I would live for these magazines showing up and I was just always obsessed as a kid, you know, I was always obsessed and I would go to New York all the time and get my clothes and come back and shock everybody in town with like my <laughs> radical, <laughs> radical fashion sense. <laughs> And then from that point on, was that as a young girl, did did you even think at the time, you know, this was something I wanted to pursue as a career? Yeah, I was, you know, I wanted to do something in, in fashion from the get-go. And uh, I remember I was just always obsessed with, you know, Jean Shrimpton and Vrushka and Twiggy and all the models mm. of the day. And I was just, you know, measuring myself every day to see if I could... <laughs> <laughs> model height. But uh, when I didn't get past 5'4", I sort of gave up on that tactic. I thought I'd switch gears and and just concentrate on the clothing and the posing. (laughs) That's great. And then for you and knowing and having that passion, talk to me because you end up going to school, right? To study? Yes. So when I got out of, um, when I was in high school, I, I went to the, from high school, I went to the Rhode Island School of Design in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And so I got a BFA from there. And plus I spent one year in Paris at a couture school. So I had like a certificate de couture. From- <laughs> so um, I had both like a fine arts background from RISD, even though I majored in apparel, I did have the complete fine arts background. And then I had a lot of more technical training in, in France. Right. So before you became Nicole Miller, the brand, right, you graduate, I assume, school. And how does it start? How did you get involved in? Well, one, one thing, like um, Rhode Island School of Design always had internship programs. And so I went to New York and I had a great internship with a former RISD alumni. And um, except halfway through my internship program, the company went out of business. So (laughs) that was a really interesting experience. But the owners got me a job with another designer. So I had another designer for the rest of my, my winter session program. And so that when I got out of school, I actually got a job working for this designer that I had my internship program with. So that was like my first job. And that was like a lot of fun because the designer was very, you know, popular and hip and trendy at the time. So it was very exciting and he had fashion shows. And I left there to go um, get a job because I was just like a lowly assistant at that company. So I, I left there and got a job designing raincoats for a raincoat company. And raincoats were always like a big passion of mine. So I loved raincoats and, you know, I loved all like the detailing and the hardware and that was really fun. And then I was there for a while and then I, I went onto like a contemporary dress and sportswear company called PJ Walsh. And that, then I was like the head designer. So I kind of worked my way up, you know, in like several years to being like the head designer at a, at a company. Yeah. And what was that like working your way up? I know you went through it pretty quickly there, but that it's all process. And well, it, it didn't seem quick at the time. Because I'm <laughs> right. not sure, you know, probably about a four or five year span or something like that before, you know, from getting out of school to like the big design job. Which is great and probably pretty quick. Well, it was very exciting because I remember the ad said, um, designer willing to travel to Europe. And I'm like, hey, that's me. (laughs) 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 I'm ready to go to Europe anytime, you know. Um, So anyway, I was fortunate enough to to get 
that job. And um, that was when the contemporary market was just starting out in the United States. We were one of the very first contemporary brands. And so and we were like, in, you know, in all the stores, you know, every department stores from Lehman's to Bergdorf's to Saks. And there was a lot of stores that aren't there anymore, obviously, you know. Best and Company and Altman and all those companies. Yeah. Best and Company might have been gone already, but there was Bonwick Teller. So it's a very inter- exciting time. It's interesting. Yeah. Tell me about that time. And and as you know, I told you off air, my, my father had a business within the garment center and he would tell me these stories of how thriving it was and people pushing the carts and and for you as this young designer, was there that energy you felt at that time? Well, you know, it's very different. And, and you know, I hadn't really thought about this till you said that, but you don't see people, you know, rolling carts up and down the street. You know, we see these clothing going up and down 7th Avenue and you just don't see that anymore. And the other thing you don't see is you'd always see these really well-dressed people. Like you would see like these girls, you know, models or not models, whatever you know, sales girls, whatever, they're always dressed to the nines and you'd be walking up down 7th Avenue like, wow, that's really cool. Or I have to like get a new outfit that looks like that. Or yeah, it was always very exciting. And then 7th Avenue now, I mean, everybody is like, just kind of dresses down and 7th oh, and 7th Avenue today. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it's going to get better post pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But it's, 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 you know, it's gone, you know, it's like people used to dress up to get on a plane. They yeah. don't, they, <laughs> there's been a lot of talk about that lately too, but um, I mean, people just don't dress up like they used to. So, but when I started working there, it was very exciting and thrilling and had a lot of energy. And there were all these great trim places. And I don't remember that place elect, but I remember um, there were these places that did like all this crazy workmanship. You know, they would like fold and pleat fabric and, and do all these crazy things. And you would, you know, just give them your fabric and they'd come back a couple weeks later with your fabric all like pleated and folded in some crazy way or elastically smocked in some crazy way. And, and you just can't get those things done anymore. I mean, you can get things pleated maybe, but that's about it. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, at that time, what was that feeling like for you when you took that job with the uh, raincoat company and, and you were able to walk into some of those incredible stores and see something that you had designed and made? What, what was that like? Well, it was, what was really great was that there was one coat that I made when I was there and it became like a huge hit. And remember the New York Times came in and they picked like my coat to to run in their editorial section and some other big publication picked my coat and that was great. So I, I'd gotten a lot of, you know, good press on the, on the items that I did when I was there. So that was really nice. Were you as a designer, you're putting yourself out there, you're creating product. Did you have a confidence? Was it hard for you, easier for, for you? Did you... Were you able to just to Well, I'm one of those people that I'm always just plugging away. I was just plugging away and I was always just working hard and trying to move forward always and trying to come up with the best idea and trying to keep wherever my boss was happy and helping my my clothes resell. And I was always like trying to come up with a new idea. Yeah, I think that's so important as an entrepreneur, no matter what it's and it's amazing because as a designer, some people might think, oh, just incredibly great at what she does and design, but, but it's still a, 
it's a business, right? You you had to have that other side, that persistence. And I would imagine because you had both of those, you were able to pick yourself up and become who you became. Well, I have to say, you know, and, and through it all, there's always some disappointments because you can make your favorite thing in the world and you can think it's the most clever, fabulous thing in the world. And it goes out and doesn't sell. And you go like, why didn't it sell? It was like so great. So, you know, very often it's like a reality check. You know, and then you have to sort of analyze, you know, why it didn't sell. I mean, hopefully it's not just not a fit problem because sometimes the best design could go out and not fit properly. And, yeah. you know, and that's the end of that. And yeah, I remember once we, we shipped this like fabulous two-piece outfit to Sex with Avenue and it was a little tube top with beads and a tool skirt. It was the cutest thing. Like every girl would have gotten it for prom that year. <laughs> and, and then production didn't check the beading and all the girls put the tops on and the beads went flying across the room. <laughs> uh. So anyway, we had to take all those back from Saks. It sounds like within your business, there are a lot of potential opportunities for hiccups and things that could go wrong. Was that very difficult for you at that time with just that situation you just explained where well, that, that didn't put us out of business obviously but but things like that hurt your credibility with the store so maybe the store won't buy as much from you next year because they you know they'll think you're incompetent or whatever and of course you do have to eat all your profits on that so it's very challenging but you know sometimes things that have been like a problem I've turned into magic like we had like a print that we couldn't sell and we or we were stuck with it so I decided to plead it so I pleated it looked a lot better pleated and then I put it with a little sweater and nobody had ever shipped I mean people no nobody ever shipped a sweater with a skirt before as a two-piece set nobody ever done that and there's this chunky little sweater with a little pleated skirt and we sold thousands of that and we used to every every inch of our fabric and we had to go out and buy more to to fill the orders because they were selling so fast such a good feeling so so talk to me about your brand and and how you started your business you know the Nicole Miller brand and, and and company how did that come about well what happened was that contemporary company that i worked for was a division of a large corporation so that corporation was having some financial trouble and i i think they own about like eight different companies maybe 10 but they own quite a few companies. And I don't know, I guess the owner said, listen, I just cannot, I've got to cut some things out here and I've got to, can't finance all these businesses together. So we said, okay, fine, we'll leave. And um, we went and put together like a hundred, a little more than a hundred thousand dollars and just went into business like the next month. So, and we, we took all the employees because of course he didn't need the employees. So we took all the employees and, and opened up like uh, three weeks later. How did that feel for you at the time? Was there some anxiousness or what was your feeling? You know what? I didn't, I hit the ground running. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I just had to make sure I had a collection that sold. And that very first year I made this dress that had a smocked elastic hip and had like five little buttons on the side, kind of like Asian or blue sun. And when I made it, it looked very avant-garde and I never thought it would sell really. I just thought it was, you know, just kind of one of those dresses that would sell a little bit to the more avant-garde customer. And this dress took off like incredibly. And we just sold, you know, it used to be able to do that with department stores, you know, if something would sell, they would turn around and they would order like a thousand more. 
Whereas now if something sells, well, next season we'll buy more. So we could turn things around really, really quickly. And especially we had domestic manufacturing and the factories were hungry and they turned the dress around really fast. So the dress just carried us through the first year and really made us, gave us enough money to keep the business going. I mean, we made millions on that dress. And by the end of the year, everybody in the United States had copied it. I swear. Mm. Every company had a version of my dress <laughs> and they're still making them to this day. That's amazing. Do, do you, when you see that, is that, do you enjoy that or do you get kind of pissed? You know, it's, it's, what do they say? You know, flattery. Well, like- you know, I, I mean, the thing is kind of makes me chuckle. I think it's kind of humorous. And of course I wasn't making the dress anymore. So I am flattered and I find it kind of humorous, but there was one designer who clearly bought a shirt of mine in a thrift shop because it was kind of identical and it just became her signature and her claim to fame. And that annoyed me because it was just very clear where it came from. Total ripoff. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure she bought it in a thrift shop because, you know, I mean, I opened up my business in like 82. So if somebody's buying something in a thrift shop, I mean, I guess it's open season on anything you buy in like a thrift shop. And who knows? I mean, for all I know, maybe the label had fallen out. Maybe she doesn't even know it's mine. But it just kind of, I thought she has like staked her whole business on this one shirt of mine. More from our guest, but first a word from our sponsors. If there's nothing else you've learned from this podcast, I hope it's that mistakes are okay. As a startup, you're going to be challenged by things you've never dealt with before. We know because we were a startup too. If you get everything right, congrats. You're the king or queen of awesome. The key is that we figure it out, right? Often using what we learn from getting things wrong. A lot of you are figuring out how to optimize your cloud computing situation right now. Let's say you're building a new company headquarters. Do you hire an electrical contractor with one star and no recommendations? Of course not. You take the highest ranked, most recommended electrical contractor that's available to you. So when you're standing up your cloud technology to power your startup, you can take chances with some other cloud computing company that few people have heard of, or you can go with Oracle. Yes, Oracle. A name that big is available to your startup through their Oracle for Startups program. 70% of cloud services, free cloud credits, multi-cloud support, mentorship, connections to other big Oracle customers. I mean, seriously, who wouldn't want all that on their side? Get pros on your side while you're figuring cloud out. Check out Oracle for Startups at www.oracle.com slash success. And our next sponsor. That sound is music to my ears. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving entrepreneurs like myself the resources once reserved for big business, customized for my needs with a great looking online store that brings my idea to life and tools to manage my day-to-day and drive sales. Making your idea real opens endless possibilities. It's a journey, but that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. Believe me, this podcast started as a passion project and turns out I created an entire business around creating podcasts for brands. I love how Shopify makes it easy for anyone to successfully run their own business. 
Shopify powers millions of entrepreneurs just like me from first sale to full scale. And every 28 seconds, a small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. Get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with extensive resources to help you succeed. Plus, with the 24-7 support, you're never alone. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash HSH, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash HSH right now. And we're back. Was there a time that came or when did it come when you really kind of felt that you had made it and established yourself? Well, I mean, I feel like after that first year, we just kept rolling. But I think the big change was when we started having fashion shows, which... We opened the business in 82. First fashion show was spring 91. And all of a sudden, after we started doing that, I was on everybody's radar. Like, I, you know, I got invited to be on more TV appearances. I got invited to more events. You know, I was all of a sudden I was on everybody's uh, wavelength. Whereas when you're not having fashion shows, it can, they don't pay as much attention to you. But things have changed because now a lot of people do presentations and they don't do actual live shows. But back when I started, people didn't even do that. There was either the fashion show people or the non-fashion show people, and there was nothing in between. So now there's a lot of different types of things, you know, people do to draw attention to their brand. From your perspective, from going from a designer to owning your own business and growing and becoming this incredible business, there's a lot on the other side, right? Being an entrepreneur and and some of those things like operations. And how did you take to that? Is that something you enjoy uh, or have enjoyed and, and have, you know, spent a lot of time on? Well, I mean, I get involved in different aspects of the business, but some I don't get so involved in. I certainly get involved with production quite a bit and I'm very technical So I really do understand every aspect of the pattern making and construction and all that. So so I'm very, and also in cost structure of garments and and that sort of thing. Cause I mean, I've always was pretty good with numbers, but the actual like financing and business part of the company, I really do not get that involved. Well, I know you have to get involved with trends and, and how do you, trends change so quickly I would imagine even especially nowadays, how do you stay on top of, of that? I think all anybody does is rehash the past these days. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a good grasp on that. You know, I can do the 60s, I can do the 70s, I can do the 80s. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I think when I started out, we used to, people used to do in the 1940s a lot. That was always a big thing. Like, mm. like 40s and shoulder pads and those like, creepy vintage dresses. And I don't see that happening so much anymore. You see a little bit of a shoulder pad here and there, never seems to have a long life. The way it is now, kind of like everything goes. Then it's something is out, then it's back in again. I mean, it's handbags, big bags, little bags, you know, it's the minute little bags are in, they're out again. And like the minute, like the low rise jean is 
out and the high rise jeans in and the low rise in looks like the newest thing again. So you can just hang on to your inventory till it comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was thinking that I was going to say, then how the hell do you have a business? But you're right. I guess you keep onto your inventory and and soon enough, you'll, you'll be able to, to sell it. But (laughs) (laughs) you said that in talking about that and and going back to when you did launch your, your company in the early eighties, there wasn't social media, right? And it was probably it's such a, a much different world. How has social media changed the world of, or the business of fashion? Well, I mean, it's created this whole new world of influencers, right? And I, you know, I say, well, before, first I was competing with designers, then I was competing with signers and socialites and celebrities. And now I'm competing with signers and socialites and celebrities and influencers. And, you know, everybody's got a brand now, everybody's got a clothing line, but, you know, I feel like these people like come and go and they're only as good as their manufacturing setup because I think for the most part, somebody is making their clothes for them and somebody's probably doing most of the technical designing for them, you know, even though they may have a concept. So, I mean, we'll see where they all land in like 10 years. Yeah, it's a good point. And, you know, for you and in, in spending four decades in, in this business, seeing so much, accomplishing so much, if you were to talk to a person like yourself, maybe coming out of, of RISD now and, and looking to get into this business and, and become a designer. Are there any tips or, or things you might say to that person or do differently than you did when you first started? Well, obviously, I, me, I came to New York. I needed to get a job because nobody was paying my rent but me. So I was very focused on designing and getting ahead. And I was following the path, whatever way it took me with a bit of a focus. I mean, obviously I did not want to get into menswear and that sort of thing, but I I think what's really important for, for people today is to uh, develop an identity for themselves. I think it's really important that they really focus on what they are and who they are and what their identity is and more focused you are, the better off you are rather than, you know, saying, oh, I can do this and I can do that. Whereas a lot of designers are very versatile and can do everything, but still to get ahead, I think it's very important to have your own point of view. And I think you have to have absolute faith in yourself. And, you know, and I always say, you know, it's kind of like dating, you know, you should never say, oh, it's okay for now. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> if it's not okay, if it's okay for now, then you should like move on. <laughs> Yeah, that is a very good point because in dating and I'm sure like in any business, it doesn't work out. For you though, and you mentioned having faith in yourself or or people having faith in themselves, and it sounds like you did, but were there also mentors along the way that really inspired you and helped you on tougher days to keep going? Not really. I I mean, I really never did have a mentor. Yeah. And people always ask me that. But I've had friends that, you know, I, I thought I admired, but they were different businesses. And No, it's interesting to, to see because especially... I never had like that, you know, store buyer or, you know, merchandise manager or a designer friend that was like my mentor. I had some friends that, you know, maybe I thought they were doing well and I kind of aspired to do what they were doing. I don't think there was ever anybody I went and like had to, you know, ask for advice all the time. Yeah. Well, you've been successful. You've been successful for a long time. There's not a lot of brands, designers that stay successful over a long period of of time. It's like, you know, 
there's uh, there's like one Tom Brady in football who's been doing it for 20 some odd years, but most people it's three or four years. You have been able to really keep your name and brand really at the forefront. And is there, how have you been able to do it and others haven't? Well, you know, I just think it's all like, I mean, maybe decisions I've made along the way. I guess I can be stubborn too, but I think a lot of times people are just stubborn and say, you know, they won't do that. Like, for example, we had our, our um, I don't know, we've had certain like licensees over the years that people might not have wanted to do. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm like very happy. I'm going to have a fabulous rug licensee. They make these fabulous, beautiful rugs. And, you know, we have like eyewear and things like that. So, I mean, I think sometimes people kind of like would say like, well, I'm not going to do that or something, or I only make clothing, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You sound, I mean, I love the passion that comes through when you talk about fashion and clothing and you still see it. I, I hear it. Do you ever foresee a day when you would walk away and maybe retire? Well, I think absolutely, because I don't want to be doing this till I'm a hundred for sure. <laughs> and no, I just, I just feel that, um, yeah, I don't want to do it for, cause I want to travel more and do stuff, you know? So I don't want to be doing it forever. So, yeah. but I mean, I'd like to be involved, but have some, some hand in the game, but you know, you, you yeah, have... but maybe not here five days a week. So right. Maybe two days a week. <laughs> <laughs> we all want that gig, but you deserve it at this point. You mentioned I'm sketching as we speak. <laughs> there you, say, you can't stop, right? You mentioned a good point there in terms of wanting to do other things. And you have been a designer, a businesswoman, a mother, being this entrepreneur. How were you able to do it all, maintain a healthy balance, especially in your business, which I know how hectic it is from remembering my father living it. How have you been able to do that? Well, I think it's because I'm a calm person. <laughs> when people are getting hysterical, I'm not. I'm just sort of like, we'll figure it out. But I feel like a lot of people waste a lot of time like looking busy. You know, I feel like the time you spend in your office should be like worthwhile. But I, I think a lot of people... You know, I have to say, like, whenever an employee left here and I had to clean out their space, or I was always like shocked that they must have spent like all their time like filling up notebooks with stuff that we just throw away. Mm. And I mean, they were all like pack rats. And I go, well, this is what they were doing all the time. That's why they got fired. <laughs> I, well, no, they didn't get fired necessarily. But I mean, it's sort of you really have to be on top of your employees and, and make sure you know what they're doing and that their time is, is being used well because um, I found like a lot of employees in the past were not using their time well. You know, yeah. I'd rather have somebody here like four days a week working than five days a week, you know, filling up notebooks. Which actually leads me to an interesting topic with the pandemic now. And, and I assume as, as most you've had kind of now a hybrid situation and, and people working from home. First off, how was that for your company? And also, how do you envision the future of your business in, I guess, this new world, so to speak? Well, I think the experience working from home was just awful. It was just awful. It was awful for me because we were trying to design prints, design clothes, and everything was like on the computer and whatever. And literally every print we decided on, but just about every every decision we made, like 
wanting to, you know, from working from home was like something we had to change when we got back in. And we were fortunate that we really were only out of the office for two weeks. And then we started coming in two or three days a week because we were making masks. And so the sewers would pick up the cut work. They'd make them at home. The cutter would come in one day a week and cut. Sewers would come in, you know, a couple of days, pick things up, drop them off. We were shipping masks all over the country. So in the meantime, while we were doing that, we could also work on the collection at the same time because we were, you know, in the office. So that was super helpful. But I'm just surprised people haven't gone back to the office yet. And I don't know. I would have gone nuts if I'd had to stay out of the office for two years. Uh, but some people enjoy it. Like I know a lot of people like, you know, that were working here during the pandemic and they got jobs that were all remote after they left here and they work remotely. And one girl, she's been traveling all over the world working remotely. <laughs> she's mm-hmm. like on a permanent vacation, but she can just get in on her computer and, and do her work from wherever she is. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, that, that that's like, you know, an amazing experience, but just the experience, like, and if you think back to when you first started and being in that office, especially younger people coming out and those are the, your social life, your interactions, like it's, I would imagine so many young people and, and I started a business during the pandemic and we have a lot of people under 25 or or about 25 and to work from home and to be isolated, you miss out on so much of what work. I know they all go for drinks after work and everything. And they they all do that. And, you know, they miss out on all that. All these people that are working from home. I mean, who do they see, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, before I let you go, I want to ask you in terms of this incredible brand that you've built and have maintained and grown over the years, if you were to look at the next three to five years, where do you see, first off, your brand? And also, where do you see the industry as a whole? Well, I mean, I I think the industry, because of kind of the consolidation of department stores, and I mean, I, I think it's a bigger challenge. And also, they've had so much competition from like online businesses. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think the whole retail business is like much, much different than it used to be. So like, you know, I told you, we used to get a thousand piece reorder from yeah. a dress, like sold a few and then boom. I mean, that isn't going to happen anymore. So I think from now on, I mean, I think we're just going to be, um, you know, we're going to be just very cautious with the way we're going and just, um, you know, not overproducing and just making like the right amount of clothes to sort of make, um, you know, just keeping inventory small, increase it, increasing demand and <laughs> shrinking supply. <laughs> exactly. I have one more question. Is it interesting and ha- has it happened where you put your credit card down and it says, you know, Nicole Miller, I assume, and you get recognized and people might say, I know it's more of a common name, but it's a well-known brand. Are you Nicole Miller? Has that happened to you? Yeah, but um, it's funny. There's so many people with my name now, which I think is <laughs> right. Uh, and I was like, I, I looked at it on a United States map. I don't know. There's like, I don't know, like 50,000 Nicole Millers in the United States. <laughs> I think they should buy more clothes. <laughs> clothes with your name on the, on the label. But uh, yeah, yeah, that does happen a lot. It's also very good for getting uh, restaurant reservations. Yeah. <laughs> and so that it is helpful in that respect. But I don't know. I don't know what other these other people with uh, my name do. One time I had bought an old piece of clothing, a vintage piece on eBay, 
what I was glad to get from my archives closet. And the girl writes, the girl that sold it to me writes in it. She goes, oh, do you buy, did you buy this? Because you have the same name. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But the, the last girl I bought something from, she goes, oh, I'm so excited. I hope it's you. And I hope I got this for your archives closet. And so she wrote me a nice letter. But yeah, most people just assume I'm just somebody with the same name. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting and nice. And we uh, really appreciate your time and sharing your story of success and challenges with us and wish you nothing but the best of luck. You're an icon within the fashion industry, and I am sure you will continue to come out with incredible new products and and things that will sell thousands of pieces at a time. (laughs) Well, thanks. It was great meeting you. You too. Thanks, Nicole. Okay, take care. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.